This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, guys? Welcome to the News Podcast. My name is Salman Ali at Red Nation Hoops on Twitter. Special guest here, Ben Dubose of Lockdown Rockets. How you doing today, Ben? Doing well. How are you, bud? I'm doing awesome. So the reason I asked you on to come on the podcast is because you brought me on a podcast earlier this year for Lockdown Rockets, and we were having a discussion about like how good is this Rockets team, right? And this is earlier when we didn't really know, like we didn't have all the data, we didn't have enough games to really tell, and we were still getting a, a feel for this team. December, we were first starting to wrap our minds around the concept that they might be, you know, not just a best case fifty win team, but what if this is actually, you know, a heavyweight? It was kind of in that stretch in mid December we were just starting to kind of wrap our minds around what might be possible. Exactly, exactly. So, so, like, I feel like we have a larger sample now. We're getting close to the end of the season. And uh, I, I remember, like, you asked me, like, it, 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 like, are they in that same stratosphere as the Warriors? And I said no. And I, I think I, the answer I gave you was, like, if something happens, I think they're right there, right? And that's particularly relevant today because we're on the heels of a very crucial league-changing Kevin Durant injury, right? Kevin Durant... Uh, obviously, hyperextended his knee, grade two MCL sprain. Looks like he's going to be out for at least a month, but that that injury may linger. They're going to reevaluate that in four weeks, and um, and who knows if he's ever going to be the same once the playoffs actually starts. And so, I, I, like that's kind of where I wanted to why, why I wanted to bring you on today because, like that that Lou Williams trade this weekend. I mean, not this weekend at the deadline that sent me a huge message. Like, I, I'm not sure if you if you felt the same way, but when they made that trade for Lou Williams, like, it, it sent me the message, okay, we're not waiting till next year. We're not, we're not particularly worried about cap space. We're not, you know, we're not going to go through the BS of keeping flexibility, even though they are still very flexible. We're, we're mm-hmm. going to, we're going to go for it right now. That's the message they sent to me when they, when they went for Lou, they gave up a first round pick. You know, as we know, Daryl Morey, he's very hesitant to trade those first round picks. And so when he trades it, you know, you, you got to consider, you have to consider, he thinks that they're close and, and he actually, what really sent a big impact to me is because he directly addressed the Warriors immediately following that trade. It, that hasn't happened yet. Like, and me and you, like uh, guys who keep up with Maury, like constantly, like, I'm per- I'm sure that that took you aback a, a little bit too. Uh, like, this is his first time as 
I mean, in this Warriors tenure of like two or three years, like when the Rockets weren't playing the Warriors, he directly addressed them. Like we're going after them. Uh, did you kind of get that same feel? Like did that did that you know struck you aback when he when he mentioned them? Absolutely. The comments at the uh, media availability, which was last Friday after the deadline, just the openness that you know we didn't even have to ask him. Uh, specifically about the Warriors and the openness, which he basically went out of his way to confirm that every move was made with the intention of, you know, trying to catch the Warriors. And, of course, the addition of Lou, uh, you know, he fits with the strategy that we've already seen, which is, you know, just bomb them, basically shoot just such an extraordinary amount of threes and hope that, you know, if you're hot in a, in a given series, that, um, I mean, it's very difficult to keep up with their kind of firepower. And, you know, Matt Moore of CBS Sports, HP Basketball, and Twitter had a great article about it earlier this week. And basically, you know, the Rockets are maybe the only team in the NBA whose A game, at least offensively, is comparable to or even better than the Warriors. So that, uh, I mean, you can see what they're trying to do. And can you do it four times out of seven? I mean, obviously, they're still the underdog, but there's a chance. I mean, it's pretty crazy because if you had told me in October, I would not have bought that there was even a chance. Yeah, and what really struck me aback is he actually said we want to beat them with a barrage of three pointers, like, and that was kind of what we assumed. But like hearing him say it was like it, it's kind of, it sounds kind of goofy coming out of a general manager, but like it's it's true. I mean that that's it seems to be what they're going for. They have five of the top twenty sh- three point shooters in the NBA today on the roster, um, and they have no weak links in terms of shooting. Uh, and yeah. you know, and you know they. That Lou Williams trade wasn't just the only move they made at the deadline. They cleared three point have three point three and a half million dollars worth of cap space, uh, and were and were really aggressive on the buyout market there for a few days. Um, and that that sent me another mess. Like they're really freaking. Aggr- they yep. think they can do it. Like they think like, and this is something like, like we're, we're, it's February twenty. No, it's March third. I'm sorry, but it's yeah. it's, it's March third. We didn't see this team being this good in July. And to to see them being this aggressive, like it's it's shocking to say the least. Because I like I didn't think they'd have any chance at sniffing the Western Conference Finals, much less getting out of the first round before the season started. And you know the moves that they're making, um, I mean it's it's sending a message to the fan base and it's sending a message to I mean the rest of the league. We think we can do it this year. I yeah. we know, we know the Warriors are this good, but but like. W- we don't care. You know, we have James Arden in his prime right now. He's 26 years old, playing the best basketball of his career. There's no better opportunity. We can't mess around here. Like, you know, like, we're going to go for it. Yeah. And, One of the uh, really... Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. So, I'll just say one of the really fascinating aspects of this to me, I feel like the Rockets found kind of a market inefficiency in terms of uh, being aggressive in the landscape of the Warriors and of the super teams because I think what made Daryl really look at the season besides their own play and be really, really aggressive is just how well they stack up versus everyone else you know the Spurs are slightly ahead for the two seed but if you've actually watched those Rockets Spurs meetings I don't think they're a particularly terrible matchup in fact I would bet that the Rockets if healthy beat the Spurs in a seven game series even without home court I just really like that matchup for them and then, of course, we saw Wednesday night just how big of a gap there is between the Rockets and the run-of-the-mill playoff teams like the Clippers. When the Rockets play their A game, no disrespect to those teams because those are quality, but they are not at the level of the Rockets. And so to go back to you know, where I was leading off this um, response saying uh, the market inefficiency, not many teams, I 
feel like um, we're willing to go all in to make the kind of move for Lou Williams because, well, typically the, the thought is that if you can't get to the level of the Warriors, then why try? You know, roll it over for future flexibility. Well, the thing is, there's value, and not enough teams have realized it, in being the clear second best, so to speak. Because what happens if Durant has just a fluke knee injury, and now you know he's probably out the rest of the regular season, and as you said, who knows how he looks in the playoffs. Or you look back to last year. Look what happened to Steph Curry in the playoffs. If they had had a better team in Portland in the second round, the Warriors could have been in trouble then. Look back two years ago when the, when the Cavs lost both Kyrie and Kevin Love. I mean, this stuff happens. And so there's value in being, you know, even if you're not as good as number one, if you're the clear number two, then just putting yourself in a situation where if something happens, hell, you even look back. I wonder if Daryl learned some from that team um, two years ago that went to the Western Conference Finals because they had a shot, you know, at the deadline. They didn't get Goran Dragic, but, you know, they didn't even really upgrade that aggressively outside of um, – what little moves they made, Pablo Prigioni, that uh, Keisha McDaniels, that sort of thing. Uh, a lot of us wanted them to go after Isaiah Thomas, and the Rockets didn't really make any mid-level moves, I think in part because they didn't know if they could catch the Warriors. And as it turned out, even with Pat Beverly and Adonis Yunus going down, the Rockets still, they made it to the Western Conference Finals, and even though it was a five-game loss to the Warriors, most of those games were close. I mean, they were right there. And I wonder if that kind of triggered something in Daryl's mind combined with, you know, the inexplicable uh, meltdown last year that these opportunities are precious. And if you're, you know, the second, third best team in the league, even if a move in a vacuum isn't going to put you to the level of the number one, then there's still value in doing it because just putting your best foot forward in the playoffs, it gives you possibility to take advantage if something happens. And, well, something just did happen with the Durant injury. So let's talk about the Durant injury. So uh, obviously Kevin Durant went down in that Washington game. Uh, it, it looked really awkward, the, the fall. Uh, and it didn't look as bad originally as I was watching that game because I was watching that game live. And it, didn't, it it looked like it was like he bumped knees. You know, he probably bruised it. He'll come back in, you know, next game, may, maybe a week or so. And, you know, immediately after that game, I mean, you started hearing reports from Wadge. I mean, like they picked up Matt Barnes on a. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a ten day contract. It would like, and that's that's what really you know. The, the original tweet by Ramona Shelburne was like they're signing him to a full year deal, like for the rest of the year, not a ten day contract. The, the way she addressed it, it, it immediately you know like it, it perked everybody's ears, right? Because like the. She, there was no reason for her to say that, right? And then Watch came out and said they're talking about this injury perhaps being months and not weeks. And so, like, and here we are with the Rockets, right? And like, we're we're talking about just just get as good as you can, right? Just just get as good of a roster as you can with James Harden in his prime, surround him with adequate talent. And let's just see what happens, right? And now you have a window, right? It may be a small window, but I mean, we're not we're not the only podcast talking about this. There's there's Spurs podcast talking about this. There's Clippers podcast talking about this. Everybody in the in the league has a window now, right? Like it's completely a gate. Like there's no guarantee that the Warriors are going to win the NBA championship this year, right? Even though they're still probably the odds-on favorites, it's the the door is a little bit open now. And now, like. No. And, and like as Daryl Morey addressed in uh, the, last, the Zach Lowe podcast today, like if you have enough variance and you and you can hit like twenty three pointers in a ser- in a game, right? And you can do that like maybe two or three times and play as solid as defense as you can against this Warriors team. 
maybe you have a chance. And I think, like, I, I don't know if Daryl Morey thought this team was going to be as good in the beginning of the season as he did as he does now, because like he mentioned, the goal was to get home court advantage. But like now, they clearly have some sort of confidence in their roster and going forward. Like, and they think they can do it. And I, I'm just very interested to see like what what goes on and you know how they finish off the season and and their momentum going into the playoffs. Absolutely, and I do not buy into the theory at all that the Warriors dodged a bullet. I mean, what really happened? When at first Woj had the bet about uh, it being potentially months, what ended up happening, if you've read the stories, is that until they got the CT scan, when they had the MRI, they were they were fearing a um, a break of the tibia, which is of course the um, the weight bearing bone. You know, with Clint Capella, it wasn't a big of a deal because his was the fibula, this was the tibia, so it would have been a lot a lot worse. And uh, the real part of it, it's not just the grade two MCL. It's the uh, the bone bruise, and the thing about it that like casual fans don't realize, just like a sprain is a tear. There's nothing that bothers me more on Twitter than people getting relieved when they see you know an immediate diagnosis of a you know a sprained knee or something like that. Because a sprain means there's damage to ligaments. It's just a matter of you know the MRI specifying what. Well, the flip side of that when you're talking about bones, I mean a, a bruise in some ways is like a really small fracture. I mean you've broken some of those fibers. It's just, uh, you know, after the CT scan, it's not enough to say it's a full-blown fracture. But the point is, that stuff takes a while to heal. And even when he comes back, you look at some of the examples uh, that we've seen in sports the last couple of years. Rudy Gobert uh, last year had a very similar injury. And I was talking to David Locke, the play-by-play voice of the Jazz, and he said that Gobert did not look himself until this year. Because it's one thing to get back and be medically cleared to play, that you're not going to re-injure that but then to have the confidence, and that's a big man. In Durant's case, I would say his mobility is even you know, a bigger deal because he makes so many quick cuts. And then in the NFL 2015, uh, Ben Roethlisberger had the exact same injury, grade two uh, MCL with a tibial bone bruise. And he was out, I think, like five and a half weeks. And I was talking to uh, David Child, the NFL doctor, pro football doc on Twitter, and he made the point that, yeah, it, it took Roethlisberger between five and six weeks. And it was a pretty real injury. I mean, there's a reason why you hear Ben Roethlisberger talking some about retirement now, because this stuff takes a toll. And um, he was out five or six weeks. And as the football doctor told me, there's nowhere near as much mobility required of an NFL quarterback who can largely just stand in the pocket versus a guy like Kevin Durant, whose entire game is built around, you know, quick cuts, sudden movements. So when you talk about not just the MCL sprain, but the, but the bone bruise, Yes, he's still going to be good. I mean, anytime Kevin Durant even steps on the floor, him being an elite shooter always makes him have value. But I really don't think that you're going to see him at the MVP level form. He's not going to get MVP, but he was certainly MVP level in terms of his impact before this injury. And I really don't think we're going to uh, see that the rest of the year. Now, he'll still be he'll still be good, and the Warriors will still, even with, say, a 70 80% Durant, will still be the favorite. But... Uh, uh, yeah, if you're a team like the Rockets, you can throw the Spurs in there as well. Yeah, it gives you uh, it, it gives you an opening that this time last week we did not know was there. Yeah, and and what, what struck me was with the report that the Warriors gave out was they're evalu they're reevaluating him in four weeks. That's not necessarily a t- the timetable. Correct. Yeah, like he could still be out for the rest of the season in part in parts of the first round. Like four four weeks is the best case scenario right now. And um, 
And if he, if he gets out for parts of that first round, I still think they'll win that first round series. But if you're talking about Kevin Durant, like trying to get his his legs under him in that second round series, like you know, obviously the things in the things involved of being uh, you know an NBA player, you know, getting that conditioning under you, uh, you know, be, being as as vertical as you used to be, you know, with a knee injury, and you know all all the things, you know, Kevin Durant's a huge part of that Warriors defense, right? And if the if, like and if there's a gap there, right, with their rim protection, with their wing defense, like something. If, if there's some, if there's something wrong with that, you know, that's a hole. That's a hole that teams can exploit in the second round series. And right now, um, with uh, the Rockets and Spurs looking to, you know, perhaps find a, you know, opening. I mean, I I could not think of a greater opening than this. I mean, and like I just think it's fascinating. The Rockets are doing this with one superstar, and like I wrote a column about this this week. Uh, and like this Rockets team, like you know, the the goal is always you know get get more than one superstar, get two or three All Star level players, and you have mm-hmm. a chance to win the championship, right? This is a different mold than, than your typical NBA championship team, right? Like this is like a 2011 Mavericks type of mold, and this is, and even like a like I made the comparison, like this is kind of like the '94 Rockets, right? Like in terms of having that one superstar player, having players that fit around them really, really well, like a Vernon Maxwell, a Kenny Smith, and Otis Thorpe, you know, guys like that. Not necessarily any all-star caliber players there. Like, and the same thing with the Rockets today. Like, you know, uh, Lou Williams, Eric Gordon, Ryan Anderson. You know, guys that fit around your superstar. You know, if you can't get two or three superstars on your team, I, I mean, I think, I think having super role, role players uh, like the likes of Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon, and you know, Lou Williams, Patrick Beverly, I think that's the second best thing, right? Like, well, would you agree with me? Because like, I think like. Like, it's really hard to get two or three superstars on one team, right? We've seen that. It's a, there's only a couple of teams in the NBA that are like that. But if you can't do that, I think the second best thing is what is what the Rockets are doing, right? Just make make a roster that fits around your superstar ideally well, and and like maybe some luck comes your way, right? Maybe you get really hot in a series, like like, like that 2011 Mavericks team, right? And you have a chance. The thing that stands out to me over and over again with these. NBA situation, I think GMs have adapted by now, is that players will find a way, cap be damned, to play where they want to play. And the draw is uh, being a really good team. And, you know, the Rockets overestimated a little bit, not too much. I mean, the, the team that really overestimated it and screwed up their planning was the Mavericks, who thought that everything going into this, you know, post 2011 cap environment was about flexibility. And Mark Cuban absolutely got burned. But, yeah, if you don't have that star, the best thing you can do – well, the Rockets have one star. If you don't have that second, third star, just go out and build the best team that you can because it's been proven time and time again that if – you know, there's just too much money. There's too many teams that will take on bad contracts. And even I go back to the year that the Warriors uh, almost got Dwight and did get Andre Iguodala. They had just these terrible contracts that they shed to Utah – with just a couple of late first-round picks, and they didn't take much at all. They cleared like 20-plus million. So where I'm going with this is over and over again, these free agents, these big-time guys, always pick the best basketball situation. We see it every summer. And every time we say, well, somebody can't clear the cap room. You know, the Rockets can, couldn't shed the salaries for Dwight. The Warriors couldn't for Iguodala. The Warriors couldn't for Durant. Every time they can. And so the way you respond well, what that tells you is that, you know, the flexibility, having the capital was overrated because the players are the ones that are driving the bus. They're going to find a way to make the math work to get to where they want to go. And if that's the case, then the appropriate response, and the Rockets are doing the stuff, 
and say, you know what? I don't want to say just flexibility be damned. You don't want to take on just a horrific contract. You can never, but within reason, um, um, within reason, flexibility is overrated. Just build the best damn basketball team that you can, and that serves you on two levels. It, it helps you win the most games now, and secondly, it positions you to be the most attractive you know, every July in the free agent market because it's been shown time and time again that, well, winning above all else, it's not flexibility, it's not market, it's winning. That's what's going to make you, um, you know, desirable to star level free agents. So it's kind of a two birds, one stone, as I see it, the approach the Rockets are doing uh, honestly works on both levels. Yeah, and, and the bottom line is, as long as you have James Harden, like, you have a chance, right? Like, in any series, as long as you have that guy, like, if you have your Paul George, if you have your LeBron James, if you have your Steph Curry, whoever it may be, as long as you have that guy and, and the necessary parts around it, you have a chance, right? Always in this league. it's If you look at the history of this league, it's always been about superstars, and the Rockets have their guy. And, and the worst thing you could be in, this, in the NBA is, is be a star that's stranded on a team that just has no chance, right? Like, you don't want to be a Paul George. You don't want to be a DeMarcus Cousins. You don't want to be, you know, whoever it may be, right? You, you don't want to be a stranded superstar because those, those, eventually those superstars will grow tiresome and want to get out, like Paul George wanting to go to L.A. or, you know, like, et cetera, et cetera. This happens throughout the course of NBA history, right? We've seen it time and time again. And... I, I like the Rockets. Like, I like what the Rockets do. They're not wasting years here, right? Like This was supposed to be like a sort of a bounce-back year, right? Rebuild your reputation. But they've gone beyond that rebuild your reputation stuff. They're going to go. They're gonna use this year and go for it. And I, I applaud the Rockets for doing it because I, I, I guarantee you not every team does that. And let's give James credit. I say this uh, literally knocking on wood, but James, his durability is a major asset because you look Look at other stars on the NBA. He's not just a star. He's a star. And I kind of like the 2011 Mavericks example, like Dirk, that you almost never have to worry about in regards to his, uh, you know, injuries, durability. I mean, he hasn't missed a game due to injury in the last three plus years. And that's pretty phenomenal because you look at some of these other guys, both uh, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook have had um, repeated scares with injuries, including this latest for Durant. Steph Curry has had his share, nothing severe, but he's had some, including the last playoffs. So for James to not just be an elite star, but to be able, for the Rockets to be able to count on him, because the one thing about having, you know, just one particular star is that, well, you're always one injury away from the entire thing blowing up. Well, the Rockets having one star that they can depend on every game, that durability is such a huge thing. And I thought about that Wednesday night, the big win over the Clippers, because you know, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin are both elite players, but season after season, including this one, they have these absences for six, eight weeks at a time, and that takes a toll. So the thing that makes it all work for the Rockets, yeah, you've got one superstar, you've got all these role players, but yeah, thankfully for the Rockets, not only did they get this one superstar, but they managed to get, I would say, it's 1A and 1B, James Harden and LeBron James, the two superstars who are by far the most durable in the NBA. Yeah, I'm so glad I got this wooden desk over here because I've just been yeah. no- knocking the entire time yeah. you've been speaking. Uh, but like, yeah, like yeah, you're right. Like James, James Harden, like being healthy is a big part of being really, really good in the NBA, right? Like, like you look at guys like Joel Embiid, right? Joel Embiid is really freaking good, right? And th- the big problem about him yep. was like always getting healthy and then and then giving your franchise the time to build around you, right? And James Harden, to his credit, like that that's a huge part of the puzzle that we never have to worry about here in Houston, right? Like health, like especially this franchise especially coming off the heels of Yao Ming and Tracy McGrady being healthy in the NBA is so key 
Like, you don't have any chance. Like, I mean, it goes without saying. If Harden goes down, the Rockets' season is over, right? And that, and, yeah. and we always watch the Rockets, and, and we just kind of take that for granted sometimes. You know, these hard falls that Harden takes, and, like, he gets back up, and he just keeps playing, right? And, like, I, I, I totally agree with you. And, and the bottom line of this podcast is, like, as long as you have James Harden and as long as you have the necessary pieces surrounding him, you have a chance in the NBA, right? Like this Kevin Durant injury, although we don't hope for injuries, right? Like nobody wants Kevin Durant to get injured. Right. Like, like that goes without saying, I, I, this gives the Rockets a chance, right? And this is what we were talking about earlier. Like, like as long, if something happens, I think the Rockets are right there. And, and, and that's, that's kind of, that's all you need. That, that, that's all you want in the NBA. And that's, like, if you have a chance, if you have a one in 50 chance at winning the NBA championship, you take that any day of the week. And I, and that that's kind of like the purpose of this podcast. I, I, I think if you're a Rockets fan, you got to be feeling pretty good for yourself because the, yeah. Rock, the Rockets are playing well. And now with this, uh, with, with the Western conference being seemingly as open as it's ever been, they have a chance and that's it, all you can ask for. It, it's kind of weird because, I've been kind of fighting the last couple of days how I feel because I don't want to say the Rockets are back in December form yet because, yeah, they're 43-19. Okay, they're just 12-10 and and their last 22 games were just a few days removed from a home loss in Indiana in which they had a, you know, 18-2 lead. Them were thoroughly outplayed the rest of the way. Both the Pacers and Timberwolves crushed them on the glass. You know, you have these little issues piling up. And yet, even in a week where that happened, I feel so much better than I did even a week ago. And, you know, I'm like, am I making too much of a one uh, of one game? But the more I think about it, the more I'm, I think folks are justified, even though they haven't really had the long run of success. We haven't had like the 10 game win streak or the nine game win streak like they did earlier this year. I think p- this wave of optimism, because I'm going to call it, is warranted. And it's kind of just two factors. One is definitely the Durant injury. The Durant injury is just kind of a wake-up call for everyone that, hey, it could happen this year for somebody that's not, you know, the chosen warriors because this kind of thing um, can change everything. But the second part of it, the game against the Clippers, yeah, I know it's one game. Just this, It counts just the same as the loss to Indiana. But the thing that was really rewarding to me about that Clippers game, it was a reminder of just how high the Rockets' ceiling is. I said on Twitter, the thing that's about the Rockets when they have a lower floor, but they have a higher ceiling. It goes back to that variance theme that you said earlier. And so you see that kind of performance against the Clippers, a fully healthy Clipper team at home with Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan. I mean, that's a pretty good team. That's a perfectly nice mid-tier playoff team in the Western Conference. And the Rockets just went in, into their gym and clowned them. And so there's still going to be frustrations like the night against Indiana – but, uh, yeah, between the Durant injury and the, uh, the Clipper game, it's a reminder that these Rockets, their A game is really, really high. And so when you have an A game, it's arguably the best in the league. Now, again, I'm not saying they're the same as the Warriors. I'm just saying the Rockets' A game, it's as good as any. That gives you a chance. You combine that with the Durant injury, and all of a sudden, even though they haven't had that 9- or 10-game winning streak of late, and I know the next five games are going to be really, really tough if you look at the schedule, um, it's hard not to be optimistic when you look at the big picture. Absolutely, I agree with you. And it's really hard to have 
you know, nine, ten game winning streaks. That's really hard. Like, yeah. like, like we looked at that December stretch and we thought it was gonna last forever. Like, that's not sustainable, right? Like, and yep. and we just kind of expected a month like January or, or you know early February to come along. Like, the, those are the dog days of the NBA. Like, I, I I don't I don't read too much into it. Like, I I look at what the Rockets have done as a as a whole, and I think that's the larger sample size you need to pay attention to. And mm-hmm. I I think the Rockets are in a good pace. I, I I completely agree with everything you just said. Like, I think the Rockets are. Right Right where you need them to be there you know I, I don't I don't believe in anything I don't believe in such things as peaking at the right time like I, I think they've peaked I, I think they've showed their they've shown their ceiling already like they they don't have anything left to prove that they're a really freaking good basketball team and they beat a really freaking good basketball team the Clippers you know like the Clippers are one of those teams that I mentioned earlier like they are they look at the, the they look at Kevin Durant going down and they feel the same way that the Rockets fans do, right? Like they they think they have a chance to, and rightfully so. And yeah, I think I I don't I don't think you have any I don't think there's anything wrong with being as optimistic as you are. And I and I'm I'm right there with you. I think the Rockets have a chance, and I think if you're a Rockets fan, you got to be feeling good, pretty good right now. Thanks so much for coming on, Ben. I really appreciate. it. I know it was last minute, but I I really wanted to continue our our conversation. Absolutely, yeah. Glad to talk about it because you know it's an interesting week. Like I said, you know they're just they're just one and one. You have five tough games ahead, but sometimes you know when you're folks like us, it's too easy to get bogged down in kind of the you know the micro level analysis. Macro, when you look at big picture, a game like Wednesday and then the Durant injury, and well, we're just a, what a week removed from the Lou Williams thing, so it's not like that's uh, you know old news either. Boy, I mean, it's tough not to be really optimistic, especially when you compare it to uh, the expectations we had just a few months ago. Yep. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Give us a good rating on iTunes if you enjoy the podcast. Even if you didn't enjoy the podcast, give us a good rating anyways, because that helps people find the show. All right, guys. Good night. Another breakout today? Really? Oh, it's not that bad, they say. I can barely see it. But yeah, right. Get real. It's time for this to end. Thanks to my new Biore Charcoal Acne Scrub with Natural Charcoal, I can fight even the most annoying breakouts. How? It scrubs out acne, causing dirt and oil for clearer skin in two days. So peace out, pesky pimples. With Biore, I've finally found the skin of my dreams. Biore. Free your pores.